I'm here with America's comedian Kurt Metzger. And we have a special guest. It's Chris Hedges, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, activist, and best selling author of 12 books. I haven't even read 12 books, including his latest, <laughs> The Greatest Evil is War. There it is right there. That's his latest book, The Greatest Evil is War. Uh, until God, you're such a nihilist, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> until recently, he, he also hosted the Emmy-nominated show On Contact for RT America and RT International. His work can now be found at his Substack at chrishedges.substack.com. Welcome back to the show, Chris Hedges. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, so you wrote this article, and that's why I want to talk about it. And it's entitled, uh, Let's Stop Pretending America is a Functioning Democracy. And let me just give them a little taste of it, and then we'll talk about it. it. Says there is a fatal disconnect between a political system that promises democratic equality and freedom, while carrying out socioeconomic injustices that result in grotesque income inequality and political stagnation. Decades in the making, this disconnect has extinguished American democracy. The steady stripping away of economic and political power was ignored by hyperventilating press that thundered against the barbarians at the gate. Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, the Taliban, ISIS, Vladimir Putin, while ignoring the barbarians in our mists. The slow motion coup is over. Corporations in the billionaire class have won. There are no institutions, including the press, an electoral system that is little more than legalized bribery, the imperial presidency, the courts, or the penal system that can be defined as democratic. Okay, but what about World War II if we're so bad? <laughs> Sorry, I turned this McConaughey. Only the fiction of democracy remains. The political philosopher Sheldon Wolin in Democracy Incorporated, he said, managed democracy and the specter of inverted totalitarianism calls our system inverted totalitarianism. The facade of democratic institutions and the rhetoric, symbols and iconography of state power have not changed. The Constitution remains a sacred document. The U.S. continues to post, posit itself as a champion of opportunity, freedom, human rights, civil rights, even as half the country struggles at substance level, substance level. Militarized police gun down and imprison the poor with impunity in the primary business of the state is war. The collective self-delusion masks who we have become. A nation where the citizenry has been stripped of economic and political power and where the brutal militarism we practiced overseas is practiced at home. In classical totalitarian regimes such as Nazi Germany or Stalin's Soviet Union, economics was subordinate to politics. But under inverted totalitarianism, the reverse is true. There is no attempt, unlike fascism, there is no attempt, unlike fascism and state socialism, to address the needs of the poor. Rather, the poorer and more vulnerable you are, the more you are exploited, thrust into a hellish debt peonage from which there is no escape. Social services from education, healthcare to our healthcare are anemic, non-existent, or privatized to gouge the impoverished. Further ravaged by the 8.5% inflation, wages have decelerated sharply since 1979s, and jobs often do not offer benefits or security. Here's it is. Let me just add this to that. <laughs> the unlikely cure for burnout, a second job. Hey, I wouldn't have thought this would cure it. That's from, that's from this week. That's the article from this week. Overemployment sounds like more of the same old grind, but it's underlying a philosophy. It's critical of work. So let me bring in Chris Hedges to talk about this. 
So you're talking about, and I, I've had, I've had a friend of mine recently said to me, Jimmy, I'll go along with a lot of the stuff you say, but I'm sorry, that January 6th, that undermined our democracy. <laughs> and I had to turn to him and say, that's what you think did it? That undermined my ability to pretend about our democracy. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we, our, your democracy was stolen from you decades ago. Uh, my whole lifetime, workers hadn't have, hadn't have a raise since 1980, coincidentally. So that's the, is that the mass delusion you're speaking to, Chris? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's quite effectively perpetuated by a media who, uh, presents that kind of fictitious universe that somehow we live in a, in a functioning democracy. One, of course, we need to protect. Uh, and uh, those, I'm not defending what happened, obviously, on January 6th, but those figures are demonized uh, as essentially assaulting our democracy. And the real architects who internally disemboweled American democracy began with Reagan, but probably accelerated uh, most under the Clinton administration, uh, are uh, essentially painted as wise, uh, elder statespeople. Uh, Biden was part of all this. Uh, and you can just start ticking off all sorts of stuff, which your viewers probably know very well. It really began right after World War Two uh, with the uh, Taft-Hartley Act in 1947. That was just this brutal uh, anti-union uh, law and making it very, very difficult to organize and strike and right-to-work laws. Uh, and, and that's because the most powerful weapon the working class has, uh, to, uh, essentially curb the rapacious greed and corruption of a ruling oligarchic lead and, and a business community is the strike. Uh, and so they destroyed unions and, and even, uh, those only about 10% of the U.S. workforce is unionized. That's only about 6%, I think, in the, in the private sector, but public sector unions were, but we've been flirting with a railroad strike. Uh, Biden under the, the, uh, there was a special kind of railroad act because there were strikes 1922 and 1878, uh, and they can cripple the country. Uh, railroads can shut down the country. Uh, and you know Biden would instantly declare the strike illegal, which he's empowered to do. Um, he doesn't like the optics of it. That's why he pressured the rank and file or is pressuring the rank and file to accept a pretty meager, uh, settlement. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, so it began then, but accelerated in the 1970s, uh, with the neocon, uh, neoliberalism and, and, uh, the, uh, uh, slashing of social services and austerity and everything else. So, but it's, it's, this is what John Ralston Saul calls the corporate coup d'etat in slow motion. Began in the 70s, uh, it, it's, it's long been over. Uh, and I studied classics. It's very much like the end of ancient Rome. You still had a Senate. Uh, you still had the pretense of, uh, people being elected, uh, but, uh, internally the oligarchy had seized complete power. And that's the same in the United States. I mean, every once in a while there was just another case a week or two ago where, uh, some senator, uh, will present legislation to pass and they forget to, uh, cross out the name of the lobbying firm that wrote it. Uh, so yeah, it's a completely, uh, it's a broken system. It doesn't, and that, in, in essence, it, the system has been deformed to serve the interests of this global oligarchic elite to further their consolidation of wealth and power. And we saw, uh, during the pandemic how, uh, while everybody else was suffering, uh, these multi-billionaires, Jeff Bezos and others, 
uh, made uh, more and more money. I mean, we have to put in perspective because if you uh, go back and look at the old oligarchs like the Rockefellers, I think when uh, David Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, one of these, John D. the third or something died, they're worth about three billion dollars. We've never seen people worth 180 billion plus dollars. Uh, the, the the social equality is just uh, it's unlike anything probably since since ancient Egypt. Uh, uh, and, and that all any political philosopher going all the way back to Aristotle makes it clear that when you have that kind of income disparity, in Aristotle's word, it's either tyranny or revolution. But yes, of course, they work very hard to maintain the facade, uh, the idea that we live in a functioning democracy. Everybody should go watch the Al Jazeera four-part documentary on uh, the the uh, leak of uh, uh, documents from labor to show how they sabotaged and destroyed the uh, campaign of Jeremy Corbyn because uh, that's exactly that these parties like labor or the Democratic Party, they don't function as real political parties. The base is uh, utterly uh, irrelevant. Uh, they're, they're brought out. They're part of the spectacle, but they have absolutely no power. So um, yeah, we don't. And, and that when, when systems seize up like that, uh, then you create these political monstrosities like Trump or Pompeo or DeSantis. I mean, there's a long time. Biden. Biden. Well, Biden, Biden is, uh, you know, reminds me of the end of the Weimar Republic. So Biden comes out of the old ancien regime. He's not uh, part. Of, and, and I think the other thing that's uh, I, I know you've also pointed this out. But the fact that the establishment Republican Party, the Liz Cheney's, the Bushes, all these figures have fused with the Democratic Party to create one ruling party uh, illustrates completely that there really was no difference of any major substance between the Democrats and Republicans, something Nader said for years and years. It's just a two party a duopoly, a corporate duopoly. Uh, and, but at the end of Weimar, so, you know, the Nazis in 1928 were polling less than 3%. Then you had the financial crash, the global financial crash of 1929, and uh, Bruning and the old aristocrats, uh, uh, even though you had massive unemployment, about 40% of the insured workforce in Germany was unemployed, 6 million people, and uh, they they made it almost impossible or very, very difficult to get unemployment insurance because they wanted to pay the loans to the banks uh, and and serve the interests of the wealthy elite. Well, then you saw fascism explode. I mean, so 1932, the Nazis become the biggest party in the Reichstag. It's a similar phenomena in the sense that you have a frightened, discredited uh, ancien regime, both Republican and Democrat, that is worried about losing power to this cultish uh, Republican party. Uh, but every step that they take ensures that uh, their own essentially uh, their own uh, uh, demise. Uh, And uh, and that's kind of tragic and tragic for us, certainly as a country. Uh, Biden has just been pathetic. I mean, he can't, uh, you know, even his most tepid campaign promises, $15 minimum wage, build back better or nothing. But Biden was an architect. I mean, Biden was selected. He was (laughs) anointed. Remember, early in the primaries, he uh, and then they had their great savior, Michael Bloomberg. I mean, it was just a pathetic kind of burlesque. Uh, but Biden was anointed because he has long been part of his, this project. He was 
uh, Clinton's bagman. I mean, I teach in a prison. I was there. I teach. I was there last night. I teach every uh, twice a week. And uh, yeah, half of my students wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Biden and Clinton. That's right. Uh, the you know NAFTA, the, the deregulation of the FCC, uh, destroying Glass Steagall, but put a firewall between investment and commercial banks. Uh, all of that was Biden, and Biden's been awful. But that's why they put him where he is. And what they are, in essence, trying to do is what the, the German aristocratic class was trying to do in the, in the early 1930s, and that is recreate an ancien regime that nobody wants. And, and that, that is their sole purpose. Um, so people don't realize the big con that happened, that um, they think that we got our democracy back with Joe Biden, and what they don't realize is that we got fascism back with Joe Biden, because if you believe Mussolini, what fascism is, it's the merger of corporations and the state. That's what Joe Biden represents. He represents it more than Trump. And uh, he's exploded the military budget. He's now trying to he's trying to start two nuclear wars so we can sell more oil or gas to Europe. Uh, has there been any. Is, well, what would you say to those people who think Joe Biden brought our democracy back? Well, they spent too much time in front of a screen <laughs> watching cable shows like CNN or something. I mean, it's it's uh, I, I don't even know where to begin in those I discussions. Know. I, I know. I, Jimmy, sure, will, go ahead. Will you put that title that you had just before from Wired magazine? This which, one? No, the, you know, the newspaper called the Wired magazine. OK, because when he was saying the Weimar Republic. Am I way off base here that this is Wired magazine, like a new tech gadget to improve your life magazine, and that headline basically says Arbeit mocked fry? Like, it's just like, <laughs> it's basically like they signed to Auschwitz on like, oh, yeah. down from another, from your job, you do some more work, you'll be free, hey. work makes you free. Hey, are you tired of being exploited and overworked at your job? <laughs> just go out and get another job. Like page two is for the new <laughs> cotton gin that's going to make things really efficient. <laughs> So, Chris, a lot of the stuff you said uh, sounds like white supremacy to me, and because um, <laughs> uh, that's what they say to people now who tell the truth about anything. Uh, do you know Fauci made $4 million during COVID? Are you saying you don't think people of color should be hired at three jobs? <laughs> so, uh, and people don't realize that when they voted for Bill Clinton, they did not vote for the lesser of two evil, in my opinion. Uh, they did not vote for the lesser of two evil because Bill Clinton was able to get things done that his predecessor, George B Herbert Walker Bush, could not get done. What, Jimmy? Like, how about pass NAFTA? They tried to pass NAFTA with a Republican president and the Democrats in the Congress wouldn't go along with them. Bill Clinton gave them cover to the co pro corporate Democrats to do that. And then they cut the legs out from underneath labor for a generation. And that's what did it. Bill Clinton did that. He was no friend to the working man. And at the same time, he was exploding the prison population as he decimated welfare. And then he deregulated uh, the Wall Street, which would come to decimate those same brown and black people the worst in 10 years, while at the same time he consolidated the media, took us from 50 giant corporations that gave us uh, news down to six. And so that's why uh, everybody's walking around in a trance. Nobody actually knows what's going on because they're being, being fed. Americans are the most propagandized people in the world and they have no idea. And so what you what you do when you write something like that is you're trying to depropagandize them, right? Yeah, and I want to make it clear that if you go back a few years, writers such as myself, Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, we were kind of mainstream, certainly in terms of numbers. Uh, but they have effectively used algorithms, and, and Taibbi and Greenwald are also on Substack, 
we've just been pushed so far to the margins because this argument, I think, or, or this critique is so threatening. I think it's because it's true. And the weaker they become, the more draconian they become in terms of, of censorship. The response of, of the liberal class, I mean, of the, we got to think of a new name for, you can probably think of it, Jimmy, for the Republican and Democratic Establishment Party because they're now one party. I mean, you have Robert Wright calling for Liz Cheney to run for president. Uh. I mean, I don't even know where to go with it. I know, I saw uh, it. I saw it. Hey, look, they used to call me America's comedian, but now they all call me Putin's party clown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so their response is censorship. Uh, they, they, they've cut this very Faustian deal with big, uh, tech companies like Google. Okay. We won't, uh, break your monopoly, uh, but you'll work with the national security apparatus, et cetera, to essentially shut all these people out. Now that's, not conjecture. I mean, the the last year that I was at Truthdig before we all went on strike because the publisher tried to fire Bob Shear, the IT people did a graph. Uh, so these are impressions. I may have said this before, but it's worth repeating. So if you typed in imperialism in Google and I had written something on imperialism, or it would come up with anything else that was recent. Well, the referrals by impressions dropped from over 700,000 in a 12-month period to below 200,000. And I'm sure they're much lower than that. Now, you look at the way they've cut out Julian Assange and then very overt censorship, which you've spoken about, but is frightening for those of us who come out of the press. Uh, the New York Post is locked out of its own Twitter account because of the Joe Biden and the New York Times was calling it disinformation. I mean, it was just terrifying. Uh, so their response is not to address the structural issues that is turning us into a much more uh, kind of naked, uh, proto-fascist country with, you know, groups like the Proud Boys and all this kind of stuff, uh, but to essentially censor their critics from the left and the right. I mean, let's be clear. So I was very opposed to removing Trump from social media. I did a thing on Amy Goodman's show uh, about it, and uh, uh, it, it, so it was a debate, you know. But anyway, uh, the, the point being that... <laughs> I, I saw that. I thought you agreed. So, uh, uh, but the the point is that the uh, the oh, we're freezing them. Of course, they know everything about us, and uh, and they are being empowered or legitimized within this culture to impose censorship. Uh, and I said, you know, you start with Trump. It's always the left, by the way, that gets built. Always historical. Oh. Mm. This is killing. Six weeks later, RT is shut down, and then YouTube disappears six years of my archives. Not, and there was not one show on Russia. There was not sh one show that violated whatever their guidelines were, but it was a way to erase shows that dealt with imperialism, a lot of shows on Julian Assange, uh, all the stuff they don't want talked about. That wasn't an accident. Hey, Chris, we were talking about before, almost like heated about it, but do you notice the thing of... What it's almost like now is you just telling the truth is treated as if you're swearing in front of children. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like you told the truth. It's like, it's like, come on, that's profanity. You know that you, it's, these are children. Well, you people can't say told, that. people told me that, like, if I told the truth about Francis Collins at the NIH or Walensky at the CDC or Fauci, if I pointed out all the times he lied, people would get mad at me like I swore in front of kids. Even you know, though these it's are true, problem children, it's you like can't just gonna, say that. If you're going to do that, it's going to make other people vaccine hesitant. I'm, well, I'm going to tell the truth. Then about, they're going to curse. I know. So that's so that's the point he's kind of making. 
Well, what's so frightening about it is that the biggest cheerleaders for the censorship is the establishment liberal class. Uh, it is quite remarkable. Uh, they, they can't wait. And so, and, and it's also this whole fusion. Like, has anybody ever read the history of the FBI? These people are not our friends. No, uh, also uh, no but, history of any kind. Right. Yeah, right. That's right. It's the eternal present. Well, that's kind of what <laughs> yeah, right. good at. The eternal present. Yeah. Of the spotless mind. <laughs> right. Um, I honestly, I'm starting to adopt the theory that George Carlin had towards the end of his life. We're like, I'm not going to participate anymore. I'm just going to sit and watch the horror show because there's no saving this. We're it's too we're too far, and I really do believe that now. I just our our government is in complete con- controlled by corporations, a military industrial complex, and Wall Street that has no interest in helping people. They look look how they can send a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine, but they can't send a billion dollars to a city to fix homelessness, and they won't do it, and they're never going to do it. And well, they're ne- about, go ahead. How about clean water? I mean, okay. let's talk about the basics. Basics. Water. Well, we did, we Jackson, just did, we just wind. did a story. The Chicago, uh, 80% of the house, houses in Chicago have lead in their water. Yeah. In Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we just did that. We just covered that story. Yeah, we can't even get clean water. So this is the end of an empire. It is happening. And a lot of people think, well, if I get a third party and if I get this, if I get that, there is nothing that's going to save this country other than full out revolution, which is not going to happen. Well, because well, the propaganda the is so I will strong. Say, Go ahead. Jimmy, is if the working class actually begins, you know, covered revolutions, it's the strike that brings them down. I mean, even if you look at the Russian Revolution, that it was uh, Lenin was in Switzerland, Trotsky was in New York. They had no idea what was happening. One hundred thirty thousand workers go out on the streets of St. Petersburg. I guess it, by then it was called Petrograd, and. Uh, uh, and, and it, it snowballs into strikes that overthrow the czar. Same thing happened in Cuba for the Foucault theory and all that. But they, it took them four days to get to Havana. The Batista had already left. Same thing with the Shah. And, and, you know, railroad strike can cripple commerce if there was a real one, a national one. That's why they're more brutal uh, to that than they are to violence. The violence they're nicer to. Yeah. They, That's what they're brutal to. They're brutal to pick to, to you workers organizing for sure. Well, they will use, we know, historically. I mean, we had the bloodiest the labor wars of any industrialized country. Hundreds of workers were murdered by company gun thugs and state police and the American Legion, which was a kind of cursor, a precursor for fascist movements. Uh, yeah, we know what the state will do. Uh, but that is the mechanism, and that's why they work so hard to break the unions, and in particular the radical unions, the Wobblies, the old, and the Communist Party, which we have rewritten out of American history. Hugely important in the 1930s. So it was the strikes, the GM strikes, all that kind of stuff that forced Roosevelt to push through the New Deal. It wasn't because Roosevelt, who came from the oligarchic class, you know, was uh, this benevolent father figure. Uh, and I've, I've read his private correspondence to his brother. He's quite open about uh, fear of revolution. They're frightened. And uh, he was astute enough, unlike Biden, to realize how to respond to save capitalism. And he said his greatest achievement was that he saved capitalism. He knew what he was doing. So these guys right now are wrecking it on purpose, it seems. Yeah, they're very low wattage. They're intellectually very stunted. <laughs> they're not very bright. And then we got to toss mm-hmm. in dementia probably on top of it. Uh, but look who he's surrounded with. Uh, Victoria Newland, uh, Fred King. I knew some of these people. I, I have uh, 
what was his name, Robert Kagan, was the brother of Fred. It's some kind of family enterprise here. And Victoria Newland's married, I think, to Fred or Robert. I think she's married to Robert. Anyway, it's nutty. So uh, who funds their think tanks? Well, it's all the war industry. You know, it doesn't matter how many times they're wrong. I had to deal with Kagan and Abrams, Elliot Abrams, who's a whack job. Oh. In Central America, yeah, uh, way back then, and and it doesn't matter how, and they're just debacle media because I, I wrote a chapter in this book that I just put out called "The Pimps of War," but that's who they are. That's and that's why they have a platform. Uh, I mean, I had to deal, as you know, with the whole call to invade Iraq on, by Bush. Well, I was the Middle East bureau chief for the New York Times. I spent seven years in the Middle East. I speak Arabic. I spent months of my life in Iraq. I didn't have, I wasn't allowed to say a word. Because, <laughs> yeah. And then who was positing, you know, these theories on the Middle East, people who couldn't find Iraq on a map. Uh, so <laughs> the whole kind of system is now just been seized. And, you know, when I began, there was a space. It, it was often an uncomfortable space and there was friction, but there was a space for journalists like myself or Bob Shear, who runs Shear Post, my columns on Shear Post every Monday. It's that's gone. I mean, that 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 is so atrophied, like the rest of the democratic system, as to just. Chris, we're ha I apologize. We're having uh, internet. Our internet is dropping periodically, so I apologize. All right. You know what it is, Chris? We're it, you're like uh, you have to understand. We're all, the country's changing formats to more of a top forty, and you're kind of more of a college station. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia Beach, Richmond, Arlington, San Jose, Miami, West Palm Beach. Go to jimmydorkcomedy.com for a link for all the tickets and become a premium member while you're there. Mm -hmm.